I'm excited to preach this morning. Uh, I, I hope that we're all excited to hear from God this morning. And so you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10 is where we are going to see Jesus the servant. I'm going to read these verses uh, from verse 35 of, of Mark chapter 10, and we'll see uh, that the Lord Jesus is changing the way humanity thinks on a few things, uh, and hopefully it'll change the way that we think about him and the way that we think about a few things in our own lives. So Mark chapter 10, starting from verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the word of God, let's pray together one more time. Father, we trust you to do your work through your word. God, we know these are not just any words from any book, but this is your very word. You reveal yourself. God, it is something that pierces to the very inner part of us. Would we see Christ more clearly because of your word? This morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was around 20 years old, I was standing underneath this, this large porch of this open gymnasium at a camp in central Florida. Uh, it was raining pretty hard, and so like the whole camp uh, was, was in the, the, the gymnasium, kind of just taking refuge from the rain um, and just playing around and having fun. And, and I happened to be just on this porch, and I was, I was standing in this, this puddle, and I was kind of leaning against this metal uh, gutter pipe that was coming down. Uh, and then about 20 meters away, lightning strikes this post. And, you know, uh, the, the, the crack of thunder was enough to make everybody jump, but, but I was literally thrown off of this metal pipe uh, because however the, the, the path of least resistance for some of that electricity was to go, it was to go through me and my arm, uh, and then I guess into the ground at some point. Um, and so I was quite literally shocked by that. 
Uh, and, and I didn't go to the hospital, although I probably should have gone to the hospital because I was basically indirectly struck by lightning. Uh, and my arm, like, it just ached all day long uh, from that. Um, and then maybe, maybe coincidentally, I started losing my hair that year. I'm not sure. But uh, what, uh, what this passage makes me think of is that whole idea of this, this path of least resistance. Now, the disciples here have been traveling with the Lord for, for years at this point. And it's still, to them, it's still really unclear what is the mission of Jesus. I mean, they're following along, and I think they just don't know what they're in for. Uh, and you see that here. Uh, and, we, and we see in verse 32, if you look, look in the text in 32, they were on the road going to Jerusalem. Uh, and then Jesus plainly tells them, and we'll look at that in a second, but he plainly tells them what's ahead for him but they don't want to hear it. So they don't hear it. Uh, James and John wanted the path of least resistance. They, they wanted to get to glory fast and as painless as possible, but they didn't want to do it by serving. They wanted to sit next to King Jesus when he conquered the Romans, but they didn't want the mess that was required for that to happen. They wanted a conquering king, not a dying servant. And just like these disciples in this text, they needed a wake-up call to be, to be sobered into the glorious reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We too, we need to be sobered by the humble glory of Christ so that we can worship him as we ought to worship him. I want you to see and respond to, in worship to the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the perfect servant. Why is Christ's servanthood worthy of our worship? I want to show you just three reasons this morning to worship Jesus. Three reasons to worship Jesus. There's many reasons, but we're going to look at three from this text this morning. First, Worship Jesus, the suffering servant. Look back at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Ah, James and John, <laughs> you either love them or you just are really annoyed by them. Who do these guys think they are to ask this question? Well, apparently they thought quite a lot of themselves. And now, now Mark, earlier in his gospel, he's the only one that, that shows that Jesus gave James and John nickname, a nickname. That was the, the sons of thunder we see in Mark 3. Now, we don't know if that's describing their disposition or their future ministry. It was probably a little bit of both, but these men were bold, and they probably were a little bit brash. Uh, and here, 
Here, they just go for it. They're like, well, we might as well ask the question. I mean, we're here. We're here with the Messiah. We might as well ask. What, what is he going to say? They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But again, they don't quite understand what kind of Messiah they are following. They still fully expect Jesus to conquer the Romans then and there and deliver his people from this current worldly oppression. That's what James and John think. And it isn't that Jesus has been unclear. Look back at at verses 33 and 34. So they're on the road to the Jerusalem, and he says to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him, spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. That's pretty clear. <laughs> That's a pretty clear message that Jesus is telling them, but they do not hear it. James and John are happy here to ask this favor of the Lord. They wanted, James and John, they wanted power and privilege just like the Romans had over them. (laughs) James and John would bring the very thing they wanted to end. This is what the broken human heart does. Proverbs tells us it returns to its own vomit like a dog does. And that's what James and John are displaying for us. The radical way of the cross is the furthest thing from James and John's minds here. But Jesus graciously tells them, he graciously tells them that they do not know what they are asking. In verse 36, he's like, like, you guys, you don't know what you're asking. He then asks a question of his own in verse 38. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And so this cup that Jesus is talking about is a cup of suffering. And and the baptism that Jesus is talking about is is the level of that. It is an immersion into suffering. It is a drowning in suffering. James and John still don't get it. Because what's their response? Oh, yeah, we're able. Yeah. Bring it on. It's a proud response. It's really the epitome of biting off more than you can chew. James and John don't understand. But Jesus tells them that they will, in fact, suffer. The Apostle Paul tells us that this is true as well. In in Romans 8, Christians are children, he tells us. And if children, then heirs is what Paul is saying. We're, We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. The way of kingdom leadership and discipleship is the way of suffering to serve others. James and John would suffer greatly for Christ and for his church. James would be killed with a sword. John would be exiled to a lonely island. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? This is what Jesus is asking them. Think about that question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Jesus is drinking a cup. It is a cup of suffering of drowning in suffering. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all things, the maker of heaven and earth, the timeless, eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and he chooses a cup of suffering, a baptism 
into suffering, an immersion into suffering. That's my Jesus. He is the king that leads you into battle. He's the commander who is the first on the battlefield and the last to leave. He's the rescuer who saves you from the fire while getting burned horribly himself. He is the shield that takes the blows that you deserve over and over again. He is the high tower that is bombarded to protect you. He is the ram that is caught in that thicket. And as Andrew told us last week, he is the Passover lamb slain on your behalf. Jesus is worthy of your worship this morning because he is the suffering servant. Are you able to drink the cup that he drinks? That's a good question we should ask ourselves. This is what he calls us to. Not a cross for sin, but he calls us to a cross. Mark, earlier in this gospel in chapter 8, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Are you willing to sacrifice what you have to serve others, to to put that cross on your shoulder and walk forward in faith? Bear each other's burdens. Weep with those who weep. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Men, lay down your lives for your wives. What can you do to ease her burdens? Instead of exercising your authority in the home to watch Netflix, maybe exercise your authority to do some dishes, to free your wife to go on a walk, to put the kids to bed. Believer, are you working hard to provide and serve for your family? How are you laying down your life for others? And I I don't mean literally laying down your life, although that could happen one day. I mean dying to yourself to serve others. Kids, kiddos, did you know your parents do this? They do this every day. They make your meals, they buy your clothes, they keep you safe. Parenting is one of the most ultimate ways to sacrifice for another. It is glorious. And really, really hard at the same time. Get up early. Serve the Lord in prayer. Work hard to serve others in your workplace, in your home. And then go to bed tired because you've suffered for the sake of others in the day. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Worship Jesus, the suffering servant, this morning. Secondly, worship Jesus, the submissive son. Look at verse 40. The last bit of Jesus' answer to James and John can be easily overlooked, but it has deeply humbling truth embedded within. Look at verse 40. It says, But to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. The Lord of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, the savior of the world is not the one to grant anyone to sit on his right or left. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. You're like, what? He can't pick who's on his right and his left? Why? That doesn't seem fair. 
Because in the beauty and the glory of the triune God, Jesus is the Son. He is not the Father. And and though the Son is completely equal to the Father, He joyfully and completely submits to the will of the Father. And that doesn't make Him less than the Father. John 6 says this, Jesus is speaking, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day day. Jesus does the will of the Father, and the Father's will is to rescue people from sin. How? How does he rescue people from sin? By sending his Son to serve humanity, and by the Son willingly submitting to the will of the Father with joy. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Son, came to serve. I recently got in the post, you probably did too, this, 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 piece of thing, this piece of paper that folds out. I meant to bring it with me this morning. This piece of paper that folds out, and, and it had all of the things that I am entitled to as an Irish citizen, just child benefit and all the health benefits and, you know, all this, that, and the other. I mean, it was, it was just over and over and over and over again. You just turn it around, and it was all of these entitlements to me. All these things that I am, that's, that are like, do me as a citizen of this great country. We think we deserve so much. The government even tells us so. We are entitled to so much. Are you feeling discontent about your circumstances? It's so easy to feel discontent. Are you feeling entitled to something today? Like it's due you? Like it's, you're, you're owed something? Well, Let me give us all a sobering reminder. We are entitled to nothing but death and judgment. The wages of sin is death. You've earned it, and I have earned it. Children, do you struggle to submit to your parents and joyfully do what they ask? Is that hard? Wives, do you struggle to submit to your husbands and love them? Church, do you struggle to submit to your elders when they call you to repent, encourage you to attend meetings, and admonish you to obey? Do you struggle with these things? Look to Christ. If anyone is entitled to anything, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gladly trusts the Father to choose who sits on his right hand and on his left hand. He is the ultimate submissive servant. He left the glories of heaven to serve you. Not just some idea of you, not humanity in general, but you by name. Jesus came to serve Sariah. Jesus came to serve Matt. Jesus came to serve Pedro. Jesus came to serve John. Jesus came to serve you. He is the servant of servants. Meditate on that when you are feeling like somebody owes you something. Worship Jesus, the submissive Son. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Finally, worship Jesus, the socially unacceptable Savior. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that these who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we see the response of the other disciples to James and John's request. They're a bit upset. Shocker. They're, they're indignant. They're annoyed. They're, they're resentful. Who are these hotshots to think that they can sit on the right and left hand of Jesus? More than likely, they're just annoyed that they didn't think to ask first. Like always, Jesus capitalizes on their weakness and creates a teachable moment. And it's what the Lord does all the time. And this wasn't the disciples' first foray into this kind of discussion. Earlier in Mark's account, we read just in the chapter before, in chapter 9, this is what we read. Listen, 9.33. And they, the disciples, all of them, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them. This is Jesus. When Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. The disciples sheepishly stay quiet when asked by Jesus what they were talking about as they were walking, because they were talking about who was the greatest. Can you imagine discussing who is the greatest while you're following Jesus? They were literally walking in his footsteps. They have seen him heal. They have seen him uh, give sight to the blind, cast out demons. They have seen him raise the dead. And they were wondering which of them was the greatest. And here again, the disciples are arguing and competing for position. So what does he do? He, he gathers them in. It's like they're in a huddle. <laughs> I need to go coach you a bit. I need to coach you again. And he starts laying out the reality of discipleship in the kingdom of God. Verse 42, he, he says, the, the worldly pagan understanding is that rulers lord their power over others. They're power hungry. Verse 43, though, Jesus declares that this is completely unacceptable in the kingdom of God. Do you want to be great? Be great servants. Do you want status? Put yourself on the bottom. <laughs> this is the upside-down, inside-out kingdom of God. I'm telling you that the way up in God's kingdom is down. This pushes against everything the world tells you. You should have the biggest house possible. You should go wherever the money takes you. You should vie for position and power in your workplace. Countries do this. Ireland was just so chuffed with itself 
when they got that seat on the UN Security Council a couple years ago, the government wants power to lord it over others. If someone makes a mistake in government, they are finished. No forgiveness, no second chances, they're out. So when Jesus reveals this truth in verse 43 and 44, we must understand it is socially unacceptable. You, you can imagine one of the disciples saying, no, no, no Jesus, th this is not how the world works. And, and then you can imagine Jesus smiling and saying, you're right, but I have overcome the world. The Savior of the world does not claim his victory by slaying his enemies in battle. Remember, we are his enemies. We are his enemies. He claimed victory by dying for his enemies on a cross. He does not lord his power over us. No, to be great, you must become the servant of all. Jesus is redefining greatness. Or, or rather, he is showing what uncorrupted greatness really is. And this is not, this is just not what the world wants, right? The world perceives this as weakness, but it is glory. It is glory. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus was obedient, a suffering servant, a submissive son, to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, Paul continues, Therefore, as a result of Jesus dying on a cross for the sin of humanity, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The servanthood of Jesus leads to glory. It is because of the cross that Jesus' name is above every name. It's because of the cross that every single knee from Adam and Eve to you and me will bow in humble submission. It is because of the cross that every tongue, willingly or unwillingly, will confess that Jesus is Lord. It is because of the cross that the Father receives glory through the Son. The world hates this. It hates it. It is socially unacceptable that my sin requires payment. It is socially unacceptable that I need someone to rescue me because I can't rescue myself. It is socially unacceptable for Jesus to give his life as a ransom for many. The world hates it. The world doesn't want a savior. The world wants to be their own savior. And this is often the crux of the unacceptability part. The world does not want to embrace someone dying in their place on a cross. The world hates the idea of a substitute because it shows that they can't do it. Let me be clear. You cannot rescue yourself from sin. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. The kingdom of this world would never, ever want their king to die on a cross. Do you know why? Because in this world, everybody thinks that they're the king. And they don't want to die on a cross. 
This is what James and John didn't realize when they were asking. They wanted their own kingdom. And if you are here today agreeing with the social unacceptability of the death of Jesus, if if you are here today building your own kingdom and you don't want Jesus to be your substitute, I have really hard news for you. Your kingdom will end. And then what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the servant king, Jesus, is Lord. No one was going to bow to James and John. And no one is going to bow to you. What is socially unacceptable now will become the one true glorious way of all humanity. Believers will glory in the cross of Christ for all eternity. Unbelievers will have sorrow upon sorrow for all eternity for failing to believe in and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This world gives you a worldly view of leadership and discipleship. It's pagan. Verse 42 tells you that. The Gentiles lord it over you. Climbing the ladder of status in the church is not the way of Christ. We are not, brothers and sisters, we are not competing with one another. This is not a competition. We should be serving one another. We worship Christ because he's the servant of servants. His is the name above all names because his service exceeds all service. The way up is down. Worship Jesus who was willing to rescue you in the most otherworldly, most socially unacceptable way imaginable. He rescued you on a cross. Jesus is servant, son, and savior, all in one. He embodies those perfectly. He is also the suffering, submissive servant who is completely socially unacceptable. This is Jesus He's Lord. I'm not sure what you were expecting when you were introduced to Jesus. I'm not sure if this is your first real introduction to the real Jesus. But as James and John found out, Jesus is is far greater, he is far more powerful, and he is far more humble than the world ever imagined him to be. This is why this church lifts up and worships Jesus. And when this church stops lifting up the name of Jesus, there's the door. Leave and don't come back. You do not need a savior who brings you earthly prosperity, power, or status. You need a savior to rescue you from sin, its penalty, its power, and its presence. You need a servant king, and he is worthy He is so worthy of your worship. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our servant king. He is beautiful beyond words. God, we thank you that he suffered for our sake, that he submitted to you, and that in this crazy upside-down, inside-out kingdom, Father, that he died on a cross as the means 
to rescue us. We would never design it that way, God, and yet in your perfection and in your plan for the ages, this, this is what is right and good. It brings you glory and it brings us salvation. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.